guys, I'm so excited to be here. I don't know if you are aware, but this is many years in the making. The first time, I think, was it the first time that I locked eyes with Dave and Catherine? I was like, you, I'm going to claim you as my brothers and my brother and sister. And then the next time we saw each other, we literally slow-mo ran across a parking lot into each other's arms. So I think that pretty much sealed the deal. So I'm very excited. Dave, you can, you can sit also. I feel like I'm going to start pretty casual, so I don't want to give you the impression that <laughs> we're not about to start with me explaining where my accent is from. Because that's, you know, it's like the dramatic synth music, and it's just like, let me tell you a little bit about where I'm from. <laughs> Doesn't really work. So it's good. We're good. Well, yes, if you haven't noticed, uh, my accent is a little hard to place. I'm from the island of Malta. One of those good old-fashioned, like, biblical book of Acts kind of places, you know? If you remember the story of, like, the Paul getting bitten by the snake, and then he shakes it into the fire, and the people are like, what's going on? Those are my people. That is where I'm from. I'm from the island of Malta. And in fact, my name is Christina Manuela Maria Paula Zamitendrich. But try fitting that on an immigration form. That's not gonna, no, that's not gonna fly. But yeah, I come to you from Malta via C3 Saskatoon, which is my home. It is my house. I am so blessed to serve as associate pastor there to pastors Brock and Ange. And one of my greatest privileges is that I get to look after the worship and creative team. And that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about today. Yeah. Like, I love talking about worship. This is my, oh, this is honestly my favorite thing to do because I spend so much time thinking about worship, reading about worship, listening to worship, actually with worshiping, hearing what other people think about worship, reading what the Bible says about worship. This is truly my favorite zone to sit in. And I'd actually like to call this mini message. Don't worry, it's just going to be a mini one. <laughs> Even though like Maltese people are kind of famous for something known as island time, but we won't get into it. We won't get into it. So I'd like to call this message the jailbreak perspective. And one of the first things that Pastor Debbie said when we spoke about me coming here is, she said, I just really want to talk about warfare and worship. And I was like, yes, I'm so excited. And so I want to start with a question. My question is, are you in a season, a situation, a circumstance that actually feels like an attack right now? We're talking about warfare. We're talking about battles. Do you feel like you're under bombardment right now? And if, even if we're not in one right now, I can guarantee that every single person in this room has either gone through a situation that has felt like that or will go through a situation that feels like that. And sometimes it feels less like an attack and almost like our own personal apocalypse. <laughs> right? I've been thinking about this word a lot, the word apocalypse. And we describe an apocalypse as an event involving destruction or damage on some catastrophic scale. So I imagine some like Dennis Quaid type and he's running, and it's always New York, or like Washington, D.C., and there the landmarks are going down. It's like, oh, there goes the Statue of Liberty. And that's always like the most dramatic action sequence. It's like, look, a building we recognize is tanking, you know, as he runs through the streets. Things are on fire. Things are crumbling in rubble. And sometimes that's exactly what our circumstances can feel like. Like we're just waiting to see which iconic landmark of our lives is going down in flames a tragedy, a prognosis, an apocalypse. And to this scene, I'd like to bring Paul. And it's not just because Paul was shipwrecked on Malta and I gave my island its faith, but because Paul actually describes certain events in his life as an apocalypse. 
But what he describes as an apocalypse is his encounter with the living God. We just, you got to take a second there, right? Because he describes this moment that caused a profound shift in his life as an apocalypse. This moment where he started the journey from zealous persecutor of Christians. He was known as the ravager. Can you imagine? Paul, the man who would become one of Christianity's greatest theologians, was known as the ravager of the Christian church. And he describes this encounter as an apocalypse. I re- I'm reading here from Galatians 1, verses 15 and 16. Paul says, God, who had chosen me and set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. And that word reveal is actually like a, you know, how we substitute sometimes the original word in the translations to make it make sense for a modern audience. Where The, the original text says, He was pleased to bring about an apocalypse of Jesus in me. So that I might preach him among the nations. Because the word apocalypse would have actually carried a very different meaning for Paul and for the people of that first century. The original definition of apocalypse, the word apocalypsis, meant the opening of a door. Or the pulling back of a curtain. Revealing what was otherwise hidden. A reveal. A revelation. Was anybody as terrified of the book of Revelations as a kid because it was described as the book of the apocalypse? That was me. That was a startling understanding as to why it's called the book of the apocalypse. Because Revelation, a pulling back of once was hidden, a veil being removed. Because that is what Paul experiences in this moment is a breaking new, a breaking, sorry, a breaking through from hiddenness of the person of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. It dramatically changes his life, the course of his life, and sets him on the path that we know of him. And now you must be thinking, okay, I thought this chick was coming to talk about worship. She's literally said the word apocalypse maybe 18 times in the last 90 seconds. But I promise it makes sense. And I'm just going to go through this. Jump on this train of thought with me, if you will. Paul has a revelation of the living God. And he goes from persecutor, meaning oppressor of freedom, to preacher, bringer of freedom through the understanding of the word. So the power of heaven explodes into his earthly reality and it is transformed. And the truth of the matter that I wanted to get to is that our worship is a vehicle of the same explosion of supernatural power into our everyday life. And it is one that is driven by our personal revelation of who God is. Where am I getting this, you may ask? Well, the Bible, of course. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, whatever we see in him gets released in us. And if you're still, you're still questioning, I got, I got the direct scripture for you. He says this. He has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers, a.k.a. sharers and partners of the divine nature. So that you might become partakers of the divine nature. So Paul is a man who is literally experiencing the truth of God as freedom bringer. And he's living from that perspective. No matter what circumstance may be like. He's been in prison how many times? And he's living from this perspective of God as freedom 
bringer. And so when he worships with Silas in the deepest, darkest Philippian cell, after being stripped and beaten and thrown in stocks, his worship causes an earthquake that literally breaks the chains off of him on Silas and busts open the doors in, his, in the prison that he's at. He experiences physical freedom from bondage. His worship is a weapon of a literal jailbreak. He lifts his voice in worship and an earthquake occurs. And sometimes our worship suffers a bit of, a, of an identity crisis, it must be said. And we miss it for what it is, which is a tool of breakthrough. That's what our worship is. It's a tool of breakthrough. And the fastest way to undermine our worship is by mistaking musical gifting for a call to corporate musical worship. It's not the same thing. Because we're not all called necessarily to be David leading the charge, the psalmists, the worship leaders, the songwriters, but we are all called to be part of the army of the Israelites who are marching around the city of Jericho and seeing their seven-day battle cry of worship break down the walls. And so we don't get to disqualify ourselves from walking in that power by saying, oh, but my voice isn't that good. It has nothing to do with the quality or timbre of our vocal cords. Nothing at all. We were all created for this. And the truth is that God ministers and delivers and moves radically in our worship if we just let him, if we invite him into that sphere. It is a weapon of literal and spiritual jailbreak that we get to have in our arsenal, that we get to bring into every situation, every circumstance, and every atmosphere. And so I'm just going just gonna to go through some basic things of what happens when we worship. Like, what is actually happening on the spiritual realm when we worship? Because the answer is a whole bunch. And we're going to walk through a little bit of this. First of all, when we worship, we are tuning our eyes and our focus onto the living God. It is a shift of posture that is taking place in the spiritual realm when we focus our eyes on Him. And this, this shift of posture, this praising God for who He is, actually strengthens our hold on who He says we are. There's this exchange going on, who we are in him. And his desire is exactly that, to reveal himself to us and to reveal more about our true identities to us. And sometimes I think we relegate God to like this Christian side hug situation that I first experienced when I came to Canada. Like my people are very like, we get in there with the hugs and uh, you know, people, when people like side swipe you and they're like, oh, and you're here. And she's like, how did I get there? That was a smooth move. I was clearly going in for like a crazy eyes bear hug. And before I know it, I'm like, and I'm here. Okay, and sometimes we're just like, mm, nice God, hi. Safe, friend, God. When really he's just like, this is what I have created you for, you know? I want to get all up in this. Because his desire is to reveal the fullness of who he is to us. Right? His promises, his goodness, his love, his character, his desires for us to know him in fullness. And the best part is this isn't conditional upon how together or perfectly quaffed we are. It is an access we have all been created for. Christ's sacrifice and the anointing of the Holy Spirit changed the access humankind had to God forever. Not but, da, da, da. Or, and then, dot, 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 
forever. So let's not create distance where there isn't any. Because once that vertical connection has been established and that shift in posture, and we pour ourselves into it, then God pours himself into us. And this overflow explodes into our earthly reality. That's just how that works. It's not just about this. God is like, no, this is going to cause this. Right? I'm very, there's a lot of hands. A lot of fuss. Hopefully this is okay. If my glasses start to fall off because I'm sweating too much. Oh, I, t- I told the worship team I'm probably going to inappropriately mention how sweaty I am. But it's a thing that happens. It's just inevitable at this point. So what I'm trying to say is there is a transaction with heaven that is taking place in the spiritual realm when we worship. And that it is powered by our revelation of who God is. Let's take David, for example. He's one of my favorite examples to use in this situation. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find a David who has been anointed as king, but then sent back to the field. Sometimes what we forget is when he goes to the battlefield and is confronted by the giant that is Goliath, he's going there to take food to his older brothers. Like he's not going with any kind of expectation of glory. He's going because he's stewarding the role, the position that he's been put in. So he goes to take food to his brothers. And he's confronted by the situation that he finds and he gets so riled up that King Saul sends for him because it's like this boy is about to do something crazy. He's a child. Goliath is a giant. And this exchange goes down. And I'm going to read straight from the scripture here, verse 34. David's response to Saul's unbelief that David can do anything about this situation. Your servant, this is David speaking, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. Some translations say grabbed it by the beard. Like, can you imagine just seeing somebody grab a lion by the beard? Like, as chill. David's just like, yeah, I do this. I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. And here is the point. Verse 37, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. David knows God as deliverer because he's had to trust God's faithfulness as deliverer to deliver him. And so he brings this revelation that he would have nurtured in his time spent in worship in the fields, looking after the flock. He takes that revelation and he brings it into the throne room with Saul. And he takes it onto the battlefield with Goliath. This is his armor. He's operating under the same jailbreak perspective. And so my question is, how much more are we equipped by the access that we are walking into. Because since David, a lot has happened. The earth quaked, the rocks split, and the veil that separated us from God was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Post David. This is what we're walking in. And remember that that verse, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers, sharers, partners of his divine nature. And so that kind of summed up is because of Christ, we have been given the power to release who God is where we are. So there's this thing that's happening as we 
kind of trying to, you know, you just see what's there's like a this that's happening that's causing that. And so really the battle is for the in-between. Right? When this is going on, the battle is for here, the atmosphere. So when we talk about battles or we sing about battles, we sing about the atmosphere. The truth is there's a, go- a war going on between heaven and earth, one that we, can never, that we never see. There's a war going on constantly. What makes me say this? Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. And you, us, he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. You are following the ways of this world in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, Satan. The spirit who is now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving who fight against the purposes of God. The prince of air. That is the dominion he is trying to govern. That he's trying to steal from us when we're trying to do this. Right? The enemy tries to derail you with a play for atmosphere. And why is worship important in this? Because Psalm 22.3 tells us that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. Right? He inhabits the praise of his people so the enemy don't want us to praise because he, know, he knows that God's going to come about and inhabit that praise. But the interesting thing is that that was actually his job, right? So I'll get into that. <laughs> praise is not just a reaction from coming into his presence. That's what this, this verse from the psalm means, that praise is actually a vehicle of faith that brings us into his presence. So just a reaction to his presence. It brings us into his presence because our praise is a pathway to his glory. And this was Lucifer's job. He was the archangel worship leader. We read that he was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God. He he covered the throne of God. He's just like, hey, wait, isn't that us? Before us, he covered the throne of God. And then he fell. He leaves the throne uncovered. And then God creates us and enthrones himself instead on our praises. The enemy cannot be in an atmosphere of worship. Does this make sense? I know we're doing like a lot of, we're doing like a strip scripture, like, but hopefully it's all good. Because what we're doing is in worship, we are declaring on earth as in heaven. With every word we sing, on earth as in heaven. Revelation speaks of worship that overflows in heaven. And when we worship, we are actually doing the same thing. We are establishing heaven atmosphere on earth. And what does that do? That forces out anything that doesn't align with kingdom of heaven perspective. So when we praise, the enemy can't stop this from happening. Because that's literally what our worship is doing. It's saying on earth as it is in heaven. And it's releasing on earth as it is in heaven. And so the enemy's assignments cannot exist in a worship atmosphere. In our worship, heaven transforms the earth and pours out of us into our earthly reality. Which brings me to my final point. At a fundamental level, you and I have been designed to exist in community. We have been designed to exist in relationship. Is a fundamental part of our DNA. When we were saying we're, 
We're built in God's design. God himself is a relationship of three at the center of the universe. It is in our DNA to exist in relationship. Why is this, why is this important? If I have been designed to exist in relationship, when God moves in my worship, my expectation can be for more than just me. My worship can help fight someone else's battle, which is the coolest part. What I mean is that the things that God whispers to me, nudges my heart about, tugs on, on my spirit in a time of worship, when my posture and my focus is on Him, are not always going to be just about me. It's going to be about situations and people to intercede for, people to walk with through stuff. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm trying to shove it in probably every single time. Somebody's like, speak about worship. I'm like, you know what I'm going to say? Because what I find is this is a common trait in us, is that we interpret these heavenly stirrings as distractions. So it'll be in a time of worship, and I'm just like, hmm, God, I'm so ready to come before you. Why am I thinking of that person at work? Like, why am I thinking of the fight I had with my child? And you're just like, why, Lord? You're kind of like, I'm here. I'm trying to give you my all. I'm trying to sing these beautifully crafted lyrics. And all I can think about is how those two people I know got into a fight and they still haven't resolved it. And so we start like, oh, I need to do something. I'm so distracted in worship. I can never focus in worship. Like, what's going on? And we fail to get the point that, hey, maybe God's trying to get our attention and our worship because we have been created for more than just ourselves. The fruit of our own life is not just for our own sustenance. And so maybe he's leading us to actually direct our worship into something. To fight the battle on behalf of somebody else, right? And sometimes it's like an atmosphere. Maybe it's not a situation. Have you ever been in the situation where you're in worship and all of a sudden you're feeling anxious? Or you're feeling fearful? Or you're feeling weary? And you're just like, that's so weird. I was fine like five minutes ago before the band started that intro. Like, why am I? I'm not even an anxious person. Why am I so anxious right now? And we start like dissecting it. And we fail to think, oh, maybe, maybe there's like somebody or like something is like trying to oppress this situation. And I can pray. I can worship into that. And my worship is doing battle with that oppression. Because sometimes we're too focused on the oppression than we are on God. We're too focused on whatever we're facing to remember that we are fully able to exceed it and then some in our worship. So let's not be more focused on the opposition than we are on the God who has given us the power to directly grapple with that opposition and say, not today. Not on my watch. That is the power of our worship. Because Jesus tore the veil, we have the power to change the atmosphere we're in. And that's what we've been created to be. And, and it's sometimes scary to realize that whether we like it or not, we are atmosphere changers. And it can be for positive or it can be for negative. But it's never going to be neutral. And it's up to us to decide what we're going to do with that. What atmosphere are we going to be leaking? I said that. Um, that's like the worst word to end a preach on. <sighs> no, I'll say something else. No. But band, you can come back up, bro. We're, we're going we're gonna to get back into it. But I'll just say this. The next time we're in worship, let's not focus 
so hard on the chains that we miss the jailbreak perspective that we're intended to operate from. We're intended to have that same jailbreak perspective that we see modeled in Paul, that we see modeled in David, that when they saw chains, they thought breakthrough, right? When they were in physical chains, they worshiped and saw physical breakthrough. And what my favorite part about that story is it didn't end with their own physical breakthrough. In, in, in that story, in, um, when Paul and Silas are in Philippi and they go to, they're in prison and then that crazy moment happens and the chains are falling off and, the, and everyone's like, what is happening? There's an earthquake. All the prisoners are loose. The guard is like, this is the end of my life. Can you imagine if you were like a casual jail attendant and all of a sudden there's an earthquake and all of the doors of all of the jail cells fall open and it's just you. And you're just like, well, I've had a good life, you know? This is where it ends. And Paul is like, no, 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 don't be afraid. No harm will come to you. And in that moment, Paul leads that man to faith. That man takes him to his own home, brings his entire family to faith. And then Paul leaves that house, goes to the house of Lydia. Well, I think it's Lydia. I'm like 95% sure it's Lydia. Who is a person that he had met before he was imprisoned in Philippi. Goes to this woman's house and finds that she has wrangled an entire group of men and women because she had been so inspired by the interaction that she had with Paul before he's, inspired, before he's in prison. So he goes to her house and finds a group, a community of men and women who are hungry for God. Can you imagine you're in that situation? You've been, you've been beaten, stripped, beaten, put in stocks, meaning Paul and Silas couldn't even move in jail. They were locked in stocks. Their worship, jailbreak. They see this man come to know the Lord. He takes them to his house. They come to know the Lord. He goes to this house of the only other safe person he knows in Philippi. And if I were Paul, I would have been so exhausted. It's like the last thing I want to deal with is a room full of spiritually hungry men and women in that situation. But what does Paul do? He doesn't go on his way. He stops and the Bible says he encourages them before leaving. That's the power. That is the energy, the vitality of operating for this jailbreak perspective. And that's what I believe every single one of us has been created to do, to operate from that perspective. And so we're going to put this into practice a little bit. I want to thank you. And we're going to stand and we're going to, we're going to spend some time in worship. And I just encourage you to be, to be open to new things, open to kind of receiving words from God in a, in a new way in this time and to really just press through just believe believe that your worship is actually doing something it's, it sounds so silly to say